हेलो एवरीवन दिस इज कथक का चक्कर माय नेम इज प्रमित एंड दिस प्लेस इज डिजाइन टू बी अ सेंट्रल प्लेटफॉर्म टू ब्रिंग कॉन्वर्सेशंस विद कथकर्स अक्रॉस द ग्लोब टुडे आई हैव विद मी अंतरा दत्तो Antrali started learning Kathak at the tender age of 5 from Shrimati Lakshmi Banerjee in Kolkata India. She holds a double diploma in Kathak from the Bongya Sangeet Parishad in Kolkata and the Prayag Sangeet Samiti in Allahabad India. She received advanced training in the Lucknow Gharana of Kathak from Shringar Mani Shrimati Anuradha Nag, a senior disciple of Pandit Viru Maharaj ji and the artistic director of the Tarangani School of Dance San Jose California. To hone her skills further Antrali also received training from Kathak master Pandit Biru Maharaj ji and Vidushi Asadi Sen during her annual trips to India at Kalashram New Delhi. In addition, she regularly visits Mahag Mahagami uh, dance gurukul in Aurangabad India uh, to receive intensive training from Guru Parvati Datta. To gain better control of lay Antrali receives tal vidya lessons from the legendary Guruji Pandit Divyangati. Antrali is the, the artistic director of Ang Kala Kathak Academy which has branches in the Pacific Northwest, Northeast, Central Ohio and also in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. She held an adjunct she held an adjunct faculty position of Kathak at the Cornish College of Arts in Seattle, Washington in fall 2010 and then at Kent State University in Kent, Ohio in winter 2014 and also taught master classes at the University of Akron, Ohio in February 2017. Antradi, how are you? Pretty good. How are you doing? Uh, I'm pretty good at as well. So uh, yeah, this point I want to thank Pandit Divyang Vakilji for introducing me to your work, and uh, and Andradi, who was my first Kathak teacher, so also spoken very highly of you. So Andradi, I guess uh, just to start off with, uh, you we were talking about you recently transitioned to hybrid classes. So what's that experience like been for you? See, every experience is different. Uh, the transition from um, all in-person classes to online classes was very challenging. And again, this is another transition where we have uh, students. Half the students are taking classes online, and half the students are taking classes in person. So, as a teacher, I have to constantly juggle between my screen and my in-person students. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, as artists, we always learn uh, through experiences, through new challenges that are, you know, that we face as days go by, mm -hmm. and. i think it will get smoother as we go into the process yeah okay and uh, as for people uh, uh, you know if you are doing hybrid classes now and for people who might be coming after you and doing hybrid later on depending on how the regulations open up do you have any advice for them like things you wish you'd known earlier that you can pass on to them yeah uh, the thing is it's always better to have a bigger screen like a tv to mm. uh, you know project the online classes yeah. so there is something the online student should feel that they are the part of the class and the in person students should also like we should take a class where everybody feels that they are part of the same class mm. and we have to continuously engage both the students and do things together so nobody feels left out mm. so um i think you know um, you know having a big screen
screen, uh, projecting your online uh, students and involving them, engaging them mm -hmm. together with the in-person students will make things uh, smoother. Hmm. That's, a, that's a very interesting point in the sense you kind of, regardless of whether they're in-person or online, they need to feel like they're part of the class. And that's what exactly. that's informs what you want to do. And exactly. coming to classes, coming to say classical dance in Kathak, what is the impact that it has on kids and students? What have you seen based on your experience? So basically, I would say learning, learning any art form, mm -hmm. uh, be it Kathak or any, uh, you know, music, yeah. it, is a, it transforms the individual. It's a transformative process. Okay. So we are not only, uh, you know, are teaching them, you know, self-discipline. Mm -hmm. uh, we also teach, help them build their character, instilling mm -hmm. good values on them. So as a child who has come to learn Kathak at the age of five, and then we are teaching them over a period of years until they go to college. Mm -hmm. So I see them as a totally transformed individual once they pass out of uh, you know, uh, from the Kathak school and they are ready to face the world. Hmm. So Antarthi, on, on this a follow-up question because, you know, we kind of are in an age, even in the US and in like metropolitan cities in India where people might have like, they don't have just have one thing so they have 10 things going on out in terms of extracurriculars and it's very tempting to like have your dance be clubbed into some sort of a hobby and the argument can be made that you any anything that you do consistently outside of class may build self-discipline and character and things like that because of the reason of you showing up again and again. So in terms of what classical dance adds, what kind of, what, what would you say differentiates it or makes it more than just a hobby or things that would differentiate it from say a regular thing that people should consider before getting in? Right. So uh, basically, you know, in class, even if I even consider my example, mm -hmm. like uh, when learning a classical dance, I feel uh, has made me very grounded, hmm. very humble. And I there is always every day I get up in the morning and I feel that there are so many things that I have to work on. Hmm. I have to improve. So there are mistakes. So I get up in the morning and it's never that you never, it's very difficult to get 100% in art, right? Hmm. So it helps, it goes, takes you through the process where you feel that, uh, you know, these are the things that uh, this is my goal and I have to work on this. Hmm. And then next day you get up, this is your, you know, it's a, it's always, uh, you are always striving for perfection. So that, hmm. uh, that is something that keeps you very grounded. You never, you know, you go and take a test, like say, if you compare this with a academic learning, you take a test, you get hundred percent, you feel that you have really conquered the world, but hmm. here it feels that, oh, there is, uh, you are going into an ocean and there is so much to learn and there is even more to learn the next day. The mm. more deeper you go into it. So there's always that feeling of, uh, you know, being grounded all the time. And there's always the feeling of, uh, you know, improving always. So I always do an analysis. I uh, ask my students also to kind of analyze their strength and weaknesses on a, you know, on a regular basis. So what mm. they have achieved and in what areas they are weak, how they can, you know, uh, improve 
so basically it is something like you can think about it as as if it's uh, two personalities so one personality is watching you you get connected to your inner self okay. uh, when you're learning classical dance mm. so there is one personality who is watching over you and telling you you know this is what you know it's always uh, like you are connected more and more you feel connected to your inner self so that okay. is that is the transformative journey i feel you don't mm. need to go to a party you don't need to go you know uh, find happiness in other places you can find it through your own practice you get that bliss so it's like a journey and uh, that is what I have achieved from it. And I try mm. to pass that on, try to explain. And, and, and every class, I like to sensitize my students, mm. uh, you know, with the different things, like talking about different things. So, so whatever I have heard. So my gurus always try to sensitize me. So that's whatever I've heard from them. And with my own understanding, I also do the, I feel that I'm also doing the same thing. I try mm. to sensitize my students inspired them so that their journey becomes a lot more beautiful and they you know they become a transformed individual as the journey goes hmm. okay to kind of summarize what you said and then my next question is more of a me question you talked about sensitizing them talked about looking at yourself Critically, but like looking at your strengths and weaknesses. And since Kathak is such an ocean, so to speak, you can kind of keep learning. So Tantali, this is a question I have had recently in the sense, because like the reason I practice right now is to keep up with my Kathak classes. That's mm -hmm. like, that's why I practice now. And I'm I'm also like, okay, fine. Like, like if I have to do it for a lifetime, there's no urgency to do anything. So in for me, so in terms of goal setting, I'm always like, okay, I'm going to do this for another 10, 15 years. So what am I in a rush for? So I, I don't have, I don't feel the need to like get better quicker, I guess, but I guess me, and I guess what I wanted to know, like how would for beginner students and stuff like that, who are trying to figure it out, how what does goal setting work or would they need goal setting or how would that, how, and yeah, basically that, I guess, if they're going to do it for a lifetime, should we be in a rush to do anything at all? I guess that's m more of a me question, by the way. So right, right, right. So the thing is, uh, you know, there definitely there are some short-term goals. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you know, for a you're dancing in a performance or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it is more uh, if you want to, if you should look at the journey, uh, you know, the overall journey, and you should uh, think about like, uh, uh, like how. Uh, like just to find a, I feel that dance always connects you to uh, to something spiritual, right? Mm. It takes you to another level. Okay. So uh, if you have the, so basically what I would like is um, uh, what I would have to say to you is you think of it as your spiritual journey. Mm. So, you know, you are going towards the journey of bliss. Mm. So it's, uh, so you will, so short-term goals are definitely, you know, are some targets that you need to have, mm -hmm. but uh, you have to feel that riyas, that oh, everyday practice, that okay. should give you the joy. Like we have to sensitize our students in such a way so that, you know, they are happy. 
when they are doing their practice. Dance brings joy, dance gives you bliss. So you have to, you know, kind of tell your students. So, uh, you know, you just, just do riyas for the sake of doing like just do riyas and feel happy don't think of any goals for the moment but that will help to build the patience of whoever you know you are trying to teach because having that patience is very important because you see a lot of dancers you know they lose their patience they get frustrated very easily Mm. they lose their patience that is also something to learn through this art form like how can you you know just practice feel happy, don't have any goal, but just enjoy this process. Like it builds, uh, it, it, it is creativity, right? It is, you are creating something beautiful every day and you're adding on to this already beautiful world. So it's that, you know, we really have to nurture that, that creative aspect for, mm-hmm. uh, for our students, you know, and just make them feel that it is, you know, it is dance for joy, dance for, uh, you know, not for any short term goals, but mm-hmm. think of it as a very beautiful journey. And, you know, and having a good relationship with your teacher, you know, that always helps to mm-hmm. create a bond with your teacher and then, you know, just go along with, you know, uh, go along with the teacher, like try to practice uh, every day. And uh, just not in a very rush, but, you know, just enjoy your practice. Just enjoy the art form. Okay, dancing for joy. You know what? It's like very tempting to ask more questions about this. But I feel at this point, I need to sit and think about it more and then get back on this at a later time. Because there's a lot to think about here first. Because it's easy to go and ask, but what about, but what about? So uh, I want to segue into the first thing you wanted to talk about, which was Ang Shuddhi. So mm-hmm. wanted to know what, for you, what does that mean to you when, that, when, I, when you talk about Ang Shuddhi? Okay. So basically, Anga is your body mm-hmm. and Shuddhi is to bring about perfection. Hmm. Okay. So whenever you're standing, how will you stand your posture? your alignment, when you're drawing the lines in space, how beautifully you're drawing the lines, you know, how are they crooked lines or you want to create such a beautiful picture for your audience that they instantly, you know, you have to create that beauty and grace for your audience. So that, so how will you draw those lines? How will you stand? How will you move your torso? So everything has to be properly aligned. Where will you keep your shoulder? Are your shoulders to be too much raised? You know, our initial one or two years just get, goes into Anga Shuddhi, correcting the incorrect postures. Mm-hmm. How, where, how will you hold your body, keeping your core tight? How will you always have to feel tall? I always tell my students, you need to feel tall. So there is a force that is pulling you from up one from down, one from the right and one from the left side. So that helps you get the equilibrium. So those, you know, those kind of, uh, that is what I mean by Anga Suddhi, basically perfecting the posture, the alignment, drawing, you know, the perfect lines, or if you're drawing a circle, how, how beautifully you can. So Kathak has a lot of circles, 
crescent shape lines that we, uh, you know, that we design in space for our audience. And that creates the beauty of Kathak. So mm. how to draw them. Hmm. So that is, that is something, um, uh, you know, with practice that you have to over and over again, you're doing the movements, you're working on your torso exercises. So that uh, is the initial process of the dance training. Understand. And when you say about practice, a lot of it is about, say, putting the reps in. So is it like you can, uh, in your experience, can you, uh, is it, is it like you can teach us, uh, teach a student what you're supposed to do? And it's a question of them getting their reps in, or is it's a constant process of you constantly having to correct them as well? What have you found works best? Like just letting the students be and getting their reps in or just be involved in the process? What works? I have to be involved in the process. Like hmm. it is a constant feedback Okay. Uh, you know, constant feedback otherwise okay. you know uh, it is but once they understand you know if I ask somebody you know 45 point to your 45 right so mm. it's getting a visual sense of the angle so because dance is visual poetry right mm. it has to be very visually it has to look very perfect you know the lines should be correct so this is through so it, it takes time for people to get an understanding of the right angle like uh, so it, it is a constant feedback process back and forth back and forth so it is definitely you know i need to see them correct them on a very regular basis Understood. I haven't heard the term visual poetry before, so that's something I've written down here. And uh, when and for you, uh, Antradi, like for you, what are the markers that for someone who has, I guess it's, it's perfection, so you can't get to perfect, but how do you, when you look at a student, how can you tell, what are the markers that you look for when you can see a student has developed a certain level of proficiency in it and they're ready to move on and use that? What do you look for? Right. So verse proper posture mm. first thing that I teach is you know how to stand properly as a dancer mm. so getting their utpatti their basic uh, utpatti position hmm. mm. correct and also you know when they are drawing the lines whether the lines are you know are straight or if they are drawing a circle how are their wrist moving mm. and so those kind of things and when they are doing the sum Huh. So how are they ending their sum position? So, mm -hmm. uh, so I look at all the, whether the alignment of the, you know, the middle toe, the nose and their right collarbone, everything is aligned at one point, whether they have reached, uh, you know, I kind of check those things. So uh, once I see that the picture that they are creating in, mm -hmm. you know, it's looking good, it's nice, and then they are ready to move on. Did you say the middle toe? Yes, 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 okay. yes. The nose, middle toe, right collarbone, all aligned at 45, right. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> that is very interesting. And when you talk about ending on the sum, is it um, the the way you're looking for it? Is it like you look, do you look for a sudden pause at the end of the sum or how do you think people should be ending it when they're striking a pose? Yes, how should how they should be ending it like mm -hmm. the surprise element or you come and stand as a like your uh, like what attitude you come in right mm -hmm. when you end your uh, pose mm -hmm. are you just standing like this or you are standing in 
you know, you just, you're, uh, you're coming to an ending uh, climax position. So how well can you come to that position, whether there is a surprise element in your uh, final position that you are trying to give to the audience, like how beautifully, how smoothly you come to that uh, climax. So that mm. is also, that is something also I look at. Yeah. I see. Yeah, I never thought of it as a surprise element, but it makes sense that you're coming to a stop because like from a, from a student's perspective, you know when the ending is coming because you know yeah. what the one dish is. For the audience, they may not know when the ending is coming. Right, right. Which is interesting. And okay, I guess those are all my questions on Angshuddhi and kind of have a better idea of that now. Um, and next thing I want to talk about is Rasa theory. And that's something I don't know a whole lot about. So if you can tell me a little bit about what it is, and then I, I have some questions for you on that as well. Sure. So basically, rasa is the relish. Mm -hmm. So uh, as a dancer, as a performer, as a practitioner, so whenever you are doing abhinaya, mm -hmm. so you are not only using your angas, mm -hmm. uh, you know, your hastas, uh, the vocabulary, but you are also uh, you need uh, to understand the emotional, like say it's a poetry, you need to understand the emotional content uh, of the poetry. And so that all your bhavas, so all the, all your emotions of a dancer, yeah. so you can be in that character and you take your audience to mm -hmm. the journey where audience can feel the relish. They can, they go into that parallel journey mm -hmm. and then they are in the, in the, in a state of bliss. And then they, so it depends on how well the dancer can do it, like mm -hmm. transform the mind of the audience. And okay. then they get the relish out of that performance. Otherwise, if you're dancing with no expression, with a very blank face, and uh, you, you can just be an entertainer, but you cannot be, uh, you know, somebody who can, uh, you know, uh, who can have the audience take the audience into that journey where they get the relish out of it, where they enjoy the performance. Yeah. They can, and they, they are, they are basically, they are getting healed from that performance. I am taking them to that journey and where, where the mind is, you know, in a moment of, they are in that moment, hmm. they are in a state of bliss and that indirectly I am healing my audience through my emotions and then taking them into that journey where they can feel it too okay so this is uh, I, I, yeah, so this is a little bit of what i'm trying to understand as well because you have sure. like say the navras so when you're talking about navras is it like nine kinds of bliss or is that like a separate concept altogether it's a separate one. It's like oh. nine different kind of emotions. Yeah. Oh, so when you talk about uh, navras, that's like navarasa. nine That's like nine kinds of emotions. Emotions, yes. yes and yes. that's similar to bhav then, or is that different than bhav? Bhava is my the rasa is for the audience to enjoy. Right. Mm. Uh, bhava is my emotions. How I am using it. I am going into the character. Say I am Sita. Okay. Mm. I am into the character. So I'm using my, uh, so Satvika, if you think of Sat, there are four kinds of Abhinaya. Mm -hmm. So Angik, then Vachik, mm -hmm. and uh, you have Aharya, 
Aharya okay. is costume, Vachik is words, mm-hmm. and Angik is all your hastas and uh, you know uh, your facial expressions and everything, all the shirobedas and everything they mm-hmm. fall under. So all that together, and Satvik is where you reach the dancer reaches that point where she is into the character, into okay. the character. She okay. realizes realizes the character on stage. Mm-hmm. Hmm, so that is that is my bhavas. Hmm, so okay, okay. if you want to think of, I can bring a parallel example. Say, for mm-hmm. example, Pramit, you want to make dosa. Mm-hmm. So those are all, your bhavas are all the ingredients. Okay. The ingredients that you put in your dosa. Those okay. are your bhavas. Hmm. And the rasa is, once the dosa is made for your audience, okay. Uh, okay. for your whoever is eating, you know. Okay. So the relish that they get from your... Uh, masala dosa whatever you have made okay that's the relish they enjoy mm. that, right so the rasa is going to the audience and bhavas is all the ingredients that you have so it is very similar to uh pakshastra hmm. so mm. like you know cooking it's that's also an art right okay. so rasa theory can be compared to that so, so. Okay, now I'm getting it. So, because I was always confused between Navras and Rasa, people used to say it that way, right. but now it makes sense. So, right. with Rasa theory, is it like something? Is it like uh, so? Uh, so it's like you know, you can become, be uh, you you can be ready as a dancer, do the choreography, and do everything, sure. and have that. Can you have? Is Ras part of what you incorporate into your dance, or is something you hope to get as a result of a good performance kind of thing? No, it is what you hope. You okay. are carrying it forward to the audience. I see. Okay. So what you are, you are taking them to that journey. Okay. Mm, to your Abhinaya. Abhinaya hmm. means to carry forward. Okay. To the audience. So, and that Abhinaya is done through your bhavas. Okay. Okay. So that is for the audience to enjoy is the rasa. Understood. So when you're kind of making a choreography or a piece, are you thinking about the audience rasa or is that, how does that play into when you're like creating something? Uh, basically, you're not thinking about, you know, how people will react. Or I'm not thinking about the audience uh, at that point. Right. So basically when I am, I'm thinking about the poetry, I'm thinking about the emotional content. I'm okay. thinking about the ambience. I'm thinking about the story. I'm thinking about the character, uh, my movements. So how am I going to portray that character on, on stage? Okay. So basically, I am... Also at the spiritual level, if I'm doing Mirabai, so I'm thinking yeah. everything together, not just simple words, but I'm, right. uh, you know, I'm thinking about everything together, the ambience and everything together mm. falls into. So that is, um, you know, uh, that is, that is what I'm thinking when I'm doing the choreography. Okay. Yeah. Understood. Not not for not thinking about the audience at that time. Ah, yeah. okay. And see... For you as a performer, when you're on stage, for you, uh, are you able, like, there are some obvious tells that people are relishing it when they say kya baat hai or like clapping and right. things like that. But are there other ways you've been able to like kind of feel the relish of the audience when you're on stage? Is, are there tell, tales for a performer when they're up there? Yeah, basically you can, uh, you know, uh, you can feel uh, 
sometimes you get vibrations you know so if mm. the audience is really enjoying it okay. then you feel you feel the vibration of the audience i mm. see but sometimes you know uh, after some time if you feel that audience is not you know not interested or mm. uh, you know or you know that means you have not been able to if you can ma- you know if you can uh, Uh, make a good like say for example if you can evoke that rasa mm-hmm. in your audience that means that you have been able to connect to your audience mm. so that means they are enjoying it you are connecting so the so that depends on how well how trained the practitioner is so mm. if i am well trained and if i can bring and portray my character well on stage then only my audience will get the rasa from it and they will enjoy it and i can connect to them they can connect to the story and i can take them into a parallel journey of bliss so oh. Okay, a parallel journey of bliss. Okay, okay. I'll have to think of about that one a bit. That's pretty deep. But I, I, but now I'm starting to understand what you mean by rasa theory and the relish of it. And uh, yeah, a lot of it makes sense to me that it didn't before. And mm-hmm. now that's very interesting to me. And I guess next thing is like we're talking about performances, Anjali, and uh, you know. you are kind of actively performing and very actively teaching we will get into shortly but how does that work for you you know it's one thing that if you're teaching full time you can dedicate your energies to that when you kind of performing as well it becomes like another challenge in itself so how does that work for you how do you play that into your life yeah it's a constant struggle to tell you very frankly it, yeah. it, it is difficult it is not easy to teach so many classes and at the same time keep up with my practice my creative time so i usually shut myself off when i'm doing my creative work i don't take any uh, i try not to take any phone calls i shut myself off from mm-hmm. online platforms from everywhere mm-hmm. so that i can focus i can focus on my work but it is uh, it has always been a very difficult you know a big struggle for me trying mm-hmm. to keep up both but uh, i always feel that uh, and also i have seen uh, examples where you can be a good teacher but not a good performer or mm-hmm. a good performer not a good teacher right uh, and uh, a good combination i feel is when you are giving when you are both when you are both a good mm-hmm. teacher as well as a good performer okay. so that way students who want to you know they uh, once they see you perform on stage that is their goal right they want to be like mm-hmm. the teacher they want to aspire to dance like you so right. it is important i feel uh, for a teacher to be a good performer as well that way you know you can uh, you know develop the their perform uh, develop that aspect of the students like the because after all it is performing art you have mm-hmm. to perform on stage it's a performing art so uh, you know so in order to develop that um, you know their uh, you know their presence on stage mm-hmm. and it is i think it is very important to set that example as a teacher uh, mm-hmm. to perform so that they learn from it and but as you as i told you before it is 
it is not easy. It is difficult. It is definitely with respect to time. It's mm -hmm. always constantly I'm managing time. And I also head to nonprofit organizations. So I have a lot on my plate. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I, I have sacrificed many things in my personal life mm -hmm. in order to do, in order to take up dance as my, you know, as my main, as my career. Right. So, and I did that. I made that choice very consciously and uh, because I love it, I get so much out of it. Uh, so, but you require support from your family. You, you do require support from your friends and family. Hmm. And Andradi, I guess, yes, since you're talking about teaching as well uh yeah just wanted to read that part of your bio you said you have branches in the pacific northwest northeast central ohio and pittsburgh so first question how does that work logistically <laughs> yeah it's it's like my destiny and it's my destiny mm -hmm. so the thing is i angakala kathak academy started in Seattle, Washington. Mm -hmm. That's where I first started. Yeah. And then after that, we had to move to Cleveland. Yeah. And then I, I you know, I was not ready to move at all to Cleveland. Mm. And, uh, but, you know, I ended up, uh, so my senior students, they helped me uh, run the school while I moved here in Cleveland. So I would go to uh, Seattle I even go to Seattle uh, once a, once a month mm -hmm. so they they used to teach the rest of the classes and I used to go there once a month and I used to teach them regularly uh, my senior students through Skype right but now with everything online you know now it is it has been a lot easier now mm -hmm. so I we do zoom uh, you know for uh, you know there are two in person and two uh, online. So one in person, I am teaching all my students in Seattle, the other in person, my I have student instructor who does and the other two classes are online. So I am teaching that as well. So mm -hmm. that way, my Seattle students are, you know, they get a lot of my attention. Um, because I am doing all the online classes. Right. And uh, for Ohio, I live in Ohio. So all my classes are in person in Ohio. Mm -hmm. And uh, Columbus and Pittsburgh also, I used to travel every every weekend in Columbus and Pittsburgh, I used to teach. And I, I would say that just destiny, like I had students who moved there and they wanted me to go and teach there. So, and just, yes. for, just for everyone who doesn't know, how far, how much of a drive is Columbus to Pittsburgh? Uh, so from my, I am in Cleveland. So from yeah. Cleveland to Columbus, it is an uh, hour forty minutes, mm -hmm. uh, one way. Okay. And from uh, same for Pittsburgh, huh? So I live south of Cleveland. So mm. Pittsburgh is also about an hour forty minutes, two okay. hours, depending on which part of uh, you know okay. Pittsburgh you want to go. But I used to go there every every week. My every weekend would be in. Columbus and Pittsburgh but now with you know with uh, yeah. I have started a hybrid model yeah. as it, things have become a little easier so I travel yeah. every alternate week to Columbus and Pittsburgh wait so do you also drive because like in the sense like you you live in one of the places which have arguably one of the harsher winters in the country so right. did you drive through like this December January oh. and all oh. of course of okay. course in blizzard conditions <laughs> I have driven in all conditions yes wow. Yes, I did that. <laughs> okay, I see. So I guess, Andradi, what 
drove you to do this i guess is the first question like you said you made a lot of sacrifices you gave up this uh question thing i guess my question is why what made you want to do this it's just i've i just love dancing so much uh, hmm. I, it's my passion and hmm. it has from when i was a child i wanted to be a dance teacher that's what i always wanted to be as a child you knew that I yeah, knew that means I wanted to be a dance teacher. That was my goal in life. But then you, you know, as things go by, you know, yeah. I uh, initially when I was young, that's what I wanted to be. But when, you know, towards I was graduating and all that, then my focus kind of turned towards um, uh, studies, you know, just as every, uh, you know, every family yeah like that hmm. every middle class family is right, right. so it all went to that and i have a masters in economics from india from calcutta university okay and then, you know i get married i come to this country and um, after that i you know i uh, went to school year and i was always pursuing dance as a hobby hmm. mm -hmm. other than a couple of years where i took a break where studies mm -hmm. uh, took over but then uh, when once my daughter uh, was two years old, mm. I came back to dancing again, you know, and okay. so performing, performing again uh, everywhere. Mm. And then after that, uh, you know, I, I, I wanted to, uh, you know, I loved dance so much. I wanted to uh, make sure that I spend more and more invest more of my time into dance rather than you know being a cost accountant and trying to juggle between dance and work and family so that was very hard for me to do that so then I gave up my job and I wanted to invest like 100% in dance and that's how that and and I'm not. I never look back at that decision. I gave up a well-paid job, but I got so much happiness from dance that uh, you know I never look back on my job that I had. Hmm. Yeah, that's very. Yeah, that's very interesting to think about. I always wanted like. Uh, yeah, and I'm glad it's worked out for you, and you're doing. You seem really happy, and the way you talk about it seems like you're really passionate about it. And uh, I guess Hunter, the one and one thing I wanted to ask you is so say when you have uh, could you tell us like how many students you have? I have about hundred and fifty students. One hundred and fifty. So, in terms of like trying to uh, how do you in terms of like trying to make make sure like everyone's kind of learning the same things or your your senior students are kind of imparting the same things and right. having a uniformity when someone is kind of your student how does that work for you like in terms of making sure kind of everyone's kind of learning the same things and you know right. they're not staying astray sure so we have a standard things uh, that i you know there are um, it's very organized there is a curriculum in my school mm -hmm. so you know whatever uh, so everybody goes through the same curriculum mm -hmm. so they my teachers uh, the teachers who teach in my school are the ones who have been trained from me from several years right. so they know exactly they know my style and okay. they know exactly what to teach yeah. so uh, you know that way i'm trying to pass down uh, things that i have learned Hmm. Uh, to them 
And so, and I'm trying to empower the next generation as well. I okay. like to make them into teaching assistants, you know, the younger uh, teenage, they kind of help okay. me in the class. I am there with them in the mm-hmm. class. So okay. they kind of help me. Uh, so I try to empower them. So in the future, you know, I want mm-hmm. them to take up my school. And really one thing I want to ask, because it's a very US thing where mm-hmm. you do Kathak when you're younger, up until high school, then you'll get your rung munch. And then I've noticed a lot of people just stop. Like they right. did it for years and years and years. So intensely got to the rung munch and stopped. So in terms of like retaining students through the critical phase in Kathak, which I feel is undergrad, which is where most people drop. Exactly. So they usually get to where they're. Uh, right. why, uh, why do you feel people are dropping and how have you like found ways to retain students? Because in the US, it is kind of very rare for teachers to have senior students because they lose their senior students in high school so how have you remedied that yeah I have the same problem uh, Pramit to be honest like they just leave it Uh, you know they have worked for so many years and then just leave it but I have a few students yeah who are so interested and so passionate that they are in college right now and okay. they're continuing to receive training from me okay. and they are they also help me teaching so i i have a few yeah you know lucky ones who stay nice. back but most of them to be very honest they you know then academics takes over they might come back after a couple of years once the right. four year degree is done they are a little bit more settled and they can come back but those four years uh, you know, some people continue, and but most of them, they don't continue. That's a mm. very sad story. Yeah. I see. It's, so it's just a question of them being in a new environment, trying to figure so many things right. out that we right. may not have the space for it anymore. Exactly. And, you know, it's the time management thing also. And But for some people, they love it so much. They don't want mm. to leave. So it depends on how you connect with dance. Yeah. So what is it giving you? So, okay the priority how much priority you're giving it in your life hmm. so. and also you talked about 150 students you're teaching so these mm-hmm. are like 150 people looking up to you and wanting to be you in certain ways how i guess for not uh, for like for someone who may not maybe less rounded or something that might get to their head or something so for you how do you stay grounded amongst all this adoration as well because you have so many people looking up to you now Right, right, right. So, uh, yes, all the, so it's basically, you know, I have, I always have to make sure that I am not doing anything wrong because there are, so there is such a big responsibility. Mm. You are passing an art form to the next generation, trying to help them connect with their roots. Some of, Mm. most of them are born in this country. And also there are some people who are, you know, who migrated from India, have students of all kinds, but uh, it's a very big responsibility. And I, just have to make sure that whatever I say, I say the right things. I am uh, trying to, so whatever I say, I try to do them myself. So, you know, there won't be any questions or anything. So I try to lead a very, uh, you know, I try to do a lead a a life where, you know, um, where people can get inspired from me. They get mm-hmm. their inspiration from me. So I always make sure that um, 
you know i always do things that are source of inspiration for my students that will sensitize them that will transform them that will make them into better uh, human beings okay understood so uh, when you kind of put yourself on a higher standard does is that like hard for you is that just comes naturally in the sense do you feel like you have to be like a more ideal version of yourself to show for your students or it just like helps you be a better person altogether no just it helps me be a better person altogether i don't have to work hard for it i i'm just uh, you know it, it it's a part it has become a part of my life now oh, yeah understood. that's how i lead my life yeah and since you're talking about inspirations and i guess would be a great time to talk about say the talvidya classes because that's kind of how i got to know you about know about you as well so i guess uh, just starting off anthradi how did you get into talvidya how did you hear about it what made you want, interested in it right right so i uh, the first time i heard about guruji mm-hmm. was from new york kathak festival and i do have to thank new york kathak festival for connecting us so guruji had taken a workshop there and that's when you know i got very inspired and i called him up and i wanted to take private classes from him and because you know it is very important i feel that uh, those allied subjects uh, like being a dancer in order to go deep into your know your subject very well you should have knowledge of tal vidya and you should also have knowledge of hindustani vocal so uh, because say if i'm creating something it it just you know those music and dance and you know ta, uh, you know the uh, vadya and the percussion everything is we are married together without any divorce yeah. so it is so important for me to understand everything together and also to uh, you know also to make my students understand you know why it is so important for tal vidya because it is for a dancer it is very important to understand the mathematics the metrics behind the compositions how to create your tihais how to create chakradas how to you know create farmaishi on your own so that will help them empower so uh, they can create their own compositions they can understand the chand behind the compositions so that that is very important otherwise you become very you know you are always dependent on other people's you know what others are going to do it uh, what your teacher will do it for you so you develop such an understanding so that you create your own composition and there is so much fun when you dance on your own compositions so uh you know understanding the matrix and then creating the visual poetry of okay. the matrix so that is very important i feel it's very and because of that i have introduced uh, tal vidya and i run a dance company i recently started a dance company with my with some of my gifted students okay. so i have introduced tal vidya as a subject uh, there and i plan to introduce all other allied subjects as well like hindustani vocal sanskrit so because i feel that you know knowledge of those allied subjects are very important for the holistic development of the dancer okay so in terms of timing andradi this is 
because whenever I ask someone, hey, when do you think someone should start Talvitya, they say as soon as possible. But from a logistical standpoint, in the sense like if you have a parallel timeline of your Kathak training and Talvitya and Hindustani classical music, I feel now, this is me as a, someone who's just done two years of it. So tell so I want to understand. So someone who understands is better. I feel like you might want to spend some time in one, then tack on the other, then tack on the other. Right. If you right. take all three of them together, you're going to get so much information overload. I don't know how you keep up. But so if for you, in terms of so someone wants to be, say, a Kathaka, regardless right. of how they pursue it, at what point should they take in the allied subjects, so to speak? Right. Okay, I feel in the initial stage, it should be just focusing on Kathak and, you know, they can't, don't even know how to stand properly. Yeah. So, you know, first they need to understand, learn Kathak for a few years, maybe three, four years. Okay. After that, they can venture into uh, Talvidya and the allied subjects. Yeah, I feel, you know, that is, that is better. Otherwise, it's too much information in the very beginning and the student can get lost. Hmm. Okay, that makes sense. And would you say like, is it like you can introduce Talvidya and Hindustani together or like spend few years in Talvidya first and then Hindustani? I know there's no exact science to it, but what do you think would work best? Uh, they they can be done together. It's not a problem. Or if the student can't take that much, you know, all at, mm. a, at one time, then uh, it can be introduced at different okay. periods of time. But it can be, so mm. it is good to introduce both of them together. Hmm. So interesting. So uh, I guess so uh, for you, Anjali, how long did it take you to like start Talvidya classes to creating your own compositions? How long was that transition period for you, or were you already creating before Talvidya? I was uh, very very small ones. You know, I used to create before Talvidya, but okay. you know, Talvidya has really um, widened my horizon. I okay. Would say. Yeah. And I'm still training. I'm still training I'm under Guruji. Yeah. And uh, he just blows our, you know, his beautiful composition. He's a, like a treasure house of composition. Yes. He just, uh, you know, blows our mind with all his beautiful composition and uh, mm. his immense knowledge that he has on yeah. Talvidya. And that he is, uh, his mission of passing it on to uh, the next generation of dancers so that... Right. Uh, it can via MPI, and I wish that I had uh, been introduced. Um, I had learned Talvidya as a child, okay. uh, as an allied subject. But I we had very elementary knowledge of tabla, you know, in our syllabus, yeah. and some elementary knowledge of Hindustani vocal. Uh, okay. So at that time, when I was going through the Kathak diploma courses, I just did, uh, you know, right. but not learning the methodology of Talvidya okay. in a yeah. proper way so what guruji is really doing is you know teaching this the proper methodology so that uh, really helps uh, for a kathak dancer yeah understood and i guess once and one thing very curious so you kind of touched upon it a little bit but i just wanted to formalize it in the, a bit in the sense that we've had so many kathak dancers who've kind of come up and become great without learn, necessarily learning talvidya but you know Every generation builds upon the previous, and it, it and ideally you'd want your the next generation to surpass you in a way. So if you see the so according to you, when you see this vision of like this next generation of students with Talvidya, what are the things you think they'll be able to achieve that their predecessors may not have able to because they have more opportunities and things like that? What do you think it'll add to their repertoire in the future, long term? 
right right see uh, one thing you have to Pramit you have to look at like previous generation of dan many dancers they were born into a family where you know there was mm. constant uh, immersion, you know, yeah. immersion that immersion technique like they were born into families of musicians where they were listening or they would play musical instrument so uh, you know most of the kathak dancers they knew how to play tabla the harmonium so those kinds so their training was different huh? and here the again the training is different so we come we get students from different backgrounds i also did not belong to i don't belong to a music family but i came into dance uh, you know from a you know different family so uh, so for us in order to get better um, and go deep into the art form i think those allied these allied knowledge of these allied subject would really give you a niche will help you understand uh, you know what uh, and help you improve your dance so basically see the visual poetry is developed is created is taught by the dance teacher by the dance guru hmm. and you know and uh, but uh, this the, the tal vidya and hindustani vocal so they add so they help they they those subjects personally would help a dancer in order to understand the metrics behind the composition the mathematics part the mathematics of the composition so they get deeper understanding and that will help them to choreograph the visual poetry lot better they will have a much better understanding and also like so for example when you are composing a piece you are creating a music huh? you are working with musicians in india we often have to do recitals in our schools or whatever what whatever we are working on so having knowledge of hindustani vocal about the tal about the rags you know that helps us uh, you know work with the musicians and also help us otherwise Uh, your ideas uh, will never come out so the if you work if you just outsource it to the musician without understanding anything then the then your uh, concept and your idea doesn't come out uh, is will be different will be different than what the musician's idea is right so that way if you have the knowledge of music if you want a certain um, you know a certain rag in this based on the emotion of the character you want a certain rag in this piece so if you are knowledgeable about it then you can explain it to your musicians otherwise your concept and your uh, things they do not get properly you know um, uh, properly represented in the music that the musicians are creating for you so i feel that you know you understanding uh, the different aspects the allied subjects makes you very strong as a dancer as a choreographer as a teacher and you can give you know you are you are rich it's there the your knowledge base is so rich you can you know when you are talking people will understand that you know these things and uh, you feel lot more empowered that is very important for a dancer to feel empowered for a teacher for a performer to you know and and especially when you are teaching when you are giving back to the audience so your knowledge base should definitely be strong Okay, so like half of your things you talked about being empowered. You talked about it on a certain level creates the kind of emotion that a lot of the 
older musicians are. You talked about having a deeper understanding. You talked about you know being able to convey the ideas that you wanted to, and not just it being the musician's thing. Right. So yeah, lots of great points there, and kind of that kind of wraps up the whole. Uh, in the sense, the need to do Talvadia. Why would someone want to in the first place? And I think that's a great answer. And since we talked about one of your gurus, and I kind of uh, usually I like to talk about training and background into the conversation instead of the beginning. So now we can get into like your Kathak training a bit. So Anjali, I guess you can tell us a little bit about your Kathak background and training and how you became who you are today. Sure. So I started from at the age of five from a local teacher. Uh, Lokhi Banerjee in Kolkata, and then I had I uh, so it was a very uh, mixed kind of a training, uh, both Lucknow and Jaipur all together. Mm-hmm. But then I wanted to specialize in um, Lucknow Gharana. So okay. then, uh, so uh, after that, so I started taking intensive training from Anuradha Didi. Hmm. And then uh, after, you know, after a couple of years of training, I still, you know, I still go to California and I have a very good relationship uh, with Anuradha Didi. I still yeah. learn. And then I, uh, you know, I used to take all the workshops um, uh, at in Calcutta that used to be done by uh, Maharajji and Didi whenever you know whenever I go back to India I take those workshops okay. and whenever they are visiting you know um, United States I never missed a single workshop I would go to all the workshops that mm. they would do and then I go back to India I go back to when I go I go to Delhi and you know try to take uh, classes in Kalashram yeah. and also I recently a couple of years ago I came in touch with uh, Parvati Didi, uh, who runs a wonderful Gurukul in uh, Aurangabad. She has a very beautiful methodology of teaching. And I am, you know, I so whenever I go to India, I visit her Gurukul and I receive training from her. And I also, I am a, I'm doing a degree in their university, MGM University, Mahatma Gandhi University. I'm pursuing a degree in Kathak. So I am in close touch with uh, Parvati Didi. I'm also, uh, you know, learning from her. Yeah. When you said Gurukul, what does that mean in this context? There's when a... You- Gurukul, it's an immersion technique of teaching. Yeah. Okay. Gurukul system. Yes, yes, ah. yes. You have those Gurukuls, like you've heard of Nitya Gram in uh, Bangalore, right? Where people, it's a residence where people come and stay and learn. Oh. So whenever I used to go, I used to stay in uh, the Gurukul. So uh, that so she has that system of uh, learning so you stay there and then uh, you know for 24 hours you're practicing you are for long hours you practice dance and you know spend time with your guru and you know learn through the immersion technique yeah and how long do you stay there typically like how long Uh, about 10 days or something like that Okay. Yeah, yeah. So is it like one of those things where you, when you're there, you kind of switch off your phone, you're out of the world, and you're just yes, there? Yes, yes, yes. Oh. I switch off my phone and there is, you're not allowed to use the phone in the classrooms. Okay. And uh, I, I just, I don't call anybody. I don't, I only 
uh, you know, uh, send a text to my family at night when I'm back in my room. That you're alive, okay. That, yes, that I'm alive. Other than that, I, I just switch myself off from everything, everything, oh. from social media, from everything. And I love, I love my time like that. I do love the, those 10 days there. Huh. Yeah. That's fascinating. There's no, t- there's no TV in the rooms. You yeah. just have, it's very simple living. You go there, you just have a bed. You just sleep, you eat, sleep, and dance. Hmm. I've heard of that like in Vipassana and things like that. I didn't know that you had a similar experience in Kathak as well. That is oh. fascinating. And Andhraji, I guess at your dance level, and say, what are you learning these days? Like, what, how does that work? What are, you, what are you working on? I learn a lot about the methodology of teaching, and mm-hmm. that helps me teach my students. Okay. I also learn certain, uh, you know, certain things that I've always wanted to learn, like certain, uh, you know, Sanskrit, uh, like, say, some certain uh, items that I want to do. Uh, mm-hmm. So, Sometimes it's, uh, you know, certain items that I want to brush on with my teachers and, uh, you know, or certain tals that um, I always wanted to learn. Okay. So not the common ones. So um, I'll try to brush on those. Yeah. Hmm. And all, and there's always, you know, whenever you go back to your gurus, uh, they correct all the movements. So you get hmm. feedback uh, on things. Okay. So, I like to have that, uh, you know, that conversation with my teachers so that they are giving me feedback and, uh, you know, I, I constantly try to improve and strive to improve. Understood. And this is like some, an observation I had during a conversation in the sense key between you, Anindita Nyongiri and, and Dr. Anderson, like I've noticed Bengalis have done rather well in establishing Kathak academies in the Midwest, which is a very specific thing. But I wanted to know your experience, Antradi, like how has it been spreading the word of Kathak in the Midwest? You know, you don't get the benefit of, say, a New York and a California where, you know, there's a presence has been for decades. Sometimes you're the only person there for miles and stuff. So what's it been like for you? Right, right. So it is definitely, it was like Cleveland is a very, uh, there's a lot of uh, South Indian classical art forms mm-hmm. here. And because of the Theagraja festival, everybody knows um, Bharat Natam is a lot more popular and well known in this area. Okay. So it's definitely hard, but, uh, you know, uh, but I had a lot of experience, uh, say, you know, setting up my academy in Seattle, Washington. Okay. So I did not have any trouble uh, or problem. I did not face a lot of challenges in Cleveland. I okay. was able to, uh, you know, establish my academy year two. And then, as I told you, you know, destiny had it. Uh, my students moved to Pittsburgh and Columbus. So I have spread my wings there in the neighboring areas as well, mm-hmm. uh, because I have not diluted the art form. I don't teach Bollywood or any, any other uh, art form. I just teach traditional Kathak. So, uh, uh, you know, there are there. Uh, so in those areas, the people who want to learn traditional Kathak, there's always people who are interested to learn just traditional Kathak. Okay. So, uh, you know, so they have, um, you know, so they, uh, I okay. have those kind of students. Mostly all my students are like that. Yeah. Hmm. So, Andrei, I guess at your mind, you might be at a point where you have to like turn students away. I'm saying, you know, your full capacity now. But when you were kind of coming up, 
what are the things you felt work for you in terms of finding the kind of students you want to train or finding the people who want to take your classes well, how what what strategies you felt work for you yeah it's just like doing your work very well and then uh, you know uh, being a uh like you know doing performances and promoting the art form so that people see the difference people mm. see what you are trying to do people see your dance people see your students people see your work so that helps uh you know growing your school and then uh you know i have i i i run to non-profits and i do promote um you know Uh, indian classical art form as well as western classical art form as well so i do a lot of events i do a lot of i organize a lot of uh, you know um, events throughout the year trying to promote the art form so more and more people uh, see it it's very important sometimes you know you don't get students because people don't know about it they don't see it so they you have to promote you have to uh, you have to show you know i also do workshops you know the recent two weeks ago i had done a workshop in a park huh. so uh, you know i'm trying to do my level best in promoting the art form uh, not only among indians but also among people uh, among uh, you know americans who do not know anything about the art form and and uh, you know and they want to learn sometimes you get students from them as well so it's it's a lot of promotion work that i have to do in order to um, you know in order to make in order to reach to the masses mm-hmm. so you talked about workshops doing workshops grand like creating your own events instead of just finding events for promotion and performances and since you mentioned you that you run to ngos i guess let's just talk about that if you want if you want like what are the ngos you run and how they involved with your dance practice so the f- uh, first one that i established was in 2015 it's called mm-hmm. arts without borders okay so it is creating a platform um where it Uh, you know the mission is basically to give opportunities of uh, to artists to grow uh, uh, to grow and enjoy the art form irrespective of religion ethnicity language mm-hmm. and uh, so we have done several events over the over the years we try to do a lot of uh, we we work with you know other kinds of art forms as well it's not just indian classical art forms we try to find out where we are similar where we are different so we organize like four to six events uh, like some of them can be workshop um, like kathak and flamenco workshop hmm. like one of them so and then we also do uh, you know we had uh, maharaj ji come over uh, for one of our events uh, mm-hmm. so we had organized that in 2016 that those were one of our big events but we continuously do small events throughout the year so even during the pandemic we did not stop doing event we started a series which is called sparsh sparsh mm-hmm. means healing through creativity so we did online virtual programs uh throughout the year and uh, bringing in 
four different uh, artists from different corners of the world mm. so we had so it had both an ed- so they had they had come for a performance as well as a discussion as a mm. discussion uh, during the pandemic so it was both you know uh, you know talk as well as performance and then we raised uh, funding uh, for those in during these programs and we donated them to artists in need uh, during the pandemic period so that was one of our programs we did for a thing and then we have a new one coming up which is called Katha. Katha is telling your stories uh, through the language of your dance. So we chose um, some some of the uh, some of the subjects that uh, you know that plagues the Cleveland community. We are funded by a Cleveland Foundation uh, okay. for you know, and uh, so those that plague the community. Uh, so uh, you know, one of the artists is performing on domestic violence. So we try to you know do all sorts of programs, creating awareness promoting engaging the community doing workshops so uh, you know just creating more and more awareness about art mm. okay that's the first one and the second one is I was going to say like where, where was the second one <laughs> yes and the second one is Angakala Dance Company this is a, just a newborn child <laughs> so this is this kind this is basically uh, only students from my academy are members you know are, can be so it is through a, a process a selection process that I oh. do so people who have been doing very well and are interested. So I want to teach them a little bit more. I want them to go deeper into the art form. So that's the reason I have introduced Tal Vidya in this, uh, in the Angkala Dance Company. Yes, that's okay. where I introduced. Yeah. I see. So. And do you see like some of your other students like really wanting to get into AKDC and like that being a thing for them to exactly. aspire towards? Exactly. Okay. And it is more about performance. And just because it started in pandemic, so they did just virtual performances, but it is more about, you know, performing and developing their performing aspect of my students. Yeah. Okay. Yes, that's great. Because like, I think as Kadaka, you can, you, sometimes you can't really rely on your teacher to get your performances. It's great to be performing providing that platform for them because that's a good jumping off point as well. And I guess Ansadi, for, yeah, last question for you in the sense, so you, you know, with everything going on, you know, you have your, you have your NGOs, you have your dance academies, you are kind of involved in the community you're in. So Antati, I guess my last question for you is what would you like your legacy to be in Kathak in wherever you are? How would you like to be remembered in this art form? So basically I would like to be remembered both, uh, as a you know both as a uh, as a performer as yeah. well as a um, as a teacher uh, you know who had passed passed down uh, not only the kathak training not only the dance art form but also all the values that comes with the art form mm. so, yeah amazing amazing uh, yeah, Antrati, I will say that it feels like you already knew the questions beforehand, even though I didn't know the questions beforehand. I love how smooth you were and you already knew what you're going to say. And it's amazing. And I love doing this with you. So thank you so much for coming. Thank you very much, Pramit. It was very nice talking with you. And, you know, 